Okay, the shear was dedicated for the yard site of Avram Chaim Rafal Ben Zev. Okay. The pasuk says, "Vayikra Shem Hamakam Ahu Beis El, VeUlam Luz Shem Ha'ir Harishayna." Yaakov Avinu in this week's parsha says that he went to Luz. That's where he had his tremendous nevuah, the sulam, the ladder. Medrash describes to us the miraculous nature of the city of Luz. Medrash tells us that, first of all, the, me- the city could never be conquered or destroyed. Sancheirev tried to conquer it, he was un- unsuccessful. Nebuchadnezzar tried to destroy it, he was unsuccessful. Medrash tells us that in the city of Luz, no one died. No one ever died in the city of Luz. Malach couldn't get into the city. In fact, the city had no entrance. The Luz Nut, which is what the city was named after, the Luz Nut had no opening. You know how like a nut always has like a little opening, you could crack it open so you could get to the, to the fruit inside of the nut? So the Luz Nut has no opening. So since the Luz Nut had no opening, nobody could ever get into the city of Luz. It was very hard to figure out how to get into the city. Even the Malachamavis couldn't get into the city of Luz. So how would people die? When it came time, they would leave the city, and that's how the Malachamavis would get to them. That was the miraculous nature of the city of Luz. There's a parallel in our body to the city of Luz. What's the parallel? There's a bone in our body that's called the Luz bone. Okay? The loose bone is a very small bone. It's the size of a piece of barley, so it's very, very small. It's a machlokas where it is. You see already in the Rishonim that it's brought down by the Rokeach and the Aruch that it's at the very bottom of the spine, where a tail would come from. But the Arizal says the opposite. The Arizal says that this loose bone is at the top of your spine. It's at the point where the base of your skull meets your spine. Or, to put it differently, it's where the Kesher of the Tefillin go. Right? So if you've ever seen a guy wearing tefillin, so they put their tefillin, the, shell, the, the kesher has to go at the base right here. That's where the luz bone is. That's what the Arizal says. The luz bone also has a very interesting shape. The Arizal says that the shape of the luz bone is like a snake. It looks like a snake. If you could actually take it out of your body and look at it, it looks like a snake, which we'll see what the chashivas of that is. The Medrash brings down, I'm sorry, the Zayar brings down I'm sorry, the Medrash brings down that the Emperor Hadrian was grinding bones. He was, he was destroying a body and he was grinding up all of the bones of the body. And Rav Yoshua ben Hananya was there. And so Hadrian wanted to know, he was studying the body. He said, where does Tchias HaMesim come from? So Rav Yoshua ben Hananya said, it comes from the Luz bone. This is where Tchias HaMesim comes from. There's a bone in your body that could never be destroyed. And because that bone can never be destroyed, everything comes from that bone. That's the Triasa Mason that comes from that bone. Hadrian asked him, he said, how do you know this? So he said, we have a Messiah that this bone is never destroyed, but I can also demonstrate it to you. And they proceeded to do a science experiment on the Luz bone that they found in front of them. So the first thing they tried to do is they tried to grind it in a mill, but it was unbreakable. They put it in fire, but the fire wouldn't consume it. They put it in water, but the, it wouldn't soften. And finally, they put it on an anvil. The Medrash says they put it on an anvil, and they tried to smash it with a hammer. And no matter how many times they smashed it, the Luz bone wouldn't break. So it was unbreakable bone. The Zayar says this bone lasts longer than all the other bones because it's a, it's a, it's a deceiver. This bone is a liar. What does it mean that this bone is a liar? All of the bones of our body are sustained through the food that we eat. So you eat food, that food becomes nutrients, the nutrients then support the body. Except for the Luz bone. The Luz bone looks like every other bone in the body, but it's not like any other bone in the body. It refuses to be sustained from regular food. We'll see where it gets sustained from in a moment. So because of this, because of its deceptive nature, because it doesn't sustain itself from food, 
So it never breaks. The reason why the rest of our bones break is because it comes from the food that ultimately is not sustained. Rishim Bar Yochai in the Zohar says, it's a fraud. This bone is, this is the Lashon. It's a fraud. It was always a fraud. And it's a neighbor of the fraudulent Yetzirah. We're going to see later what that means. How is this connected to Tchiyas HaMesim? So the gematria of the word etzem haluz is 248. Girls, how many bones do you have in your body? You have ramach evarim. You have 248 bones in your body. So etzem haluz, the luz bone, etzem means bone, the etzem haluz regenerates all other 248 bones of the body. Not only that, but the Rabbeinu Bechayah says something unbelievable. Remember, there's a parallel. Luz bone, luz the city. Just like tchias hamesim comes from the Luz bone, so also the entire world is going to be destroyed and regenerated. This is what's foretold, Lasad Lavo, that in the times of Mashiach, the entire world is going to have to go through a regeneration process, and that process is going to start in the city of Luz, just like the entire body breaks down and is regenerated from, this, from the Luz bone, so to the entire world is going to break down and it's going to be regenerated from the city of Luz. So where does the Luz bone get sustained from? So, we mentioned that it doesn't get sustained from regular food. Based on the Gemara and Shabbos, Gemara and Shabbos says that a person should always set the table on Matzei Shabbos, even if it's for a very small amount of food. Even if you're only having a tiny amount of food, you should always set your, top, you should always set your table. The Beis Yosef quotes the Shibole HaLeke, and the Beis Yosef says that the Niskai, is a word Niskai, we'll see what it means in a second, the Niskai only derives its sustenance from Malava Malka. So the food you eat, Malava Malka, it feeds this bone called the Niskai. Says the Mate Moshe, what is this Niskai? This Niskai is the Luz bone. Now this is very important. So far we have two names for it. One is called the Niskai, the other is called the Luz bone. So the Luz bone, where does it get its sustenance from? It gets its sustenance from the fact that we eat Malava Malka. Which means, girls, that we all have a Chiyuv to eat Malava Malka. Tonight, if you don't eat Malava Malka, you're missing out on a tremendous opportunity because this bone, which is the unbreakable bone inside of your body, it gets its sustenance from where? It gets its sustenance from Malava Malka. Medjishin Elio Rabba explains why this bone is not destroyed. And this is a phenomenal one. Girls, if, if, if this Niskai, if this Luz bone, only sustains itself from food that's eaten on Matzei Shabbos, Let's go back to the source of all death. Where does death come from? Death comes from Adam Rishon, right? Adam and Chava ate from the Eitz Adas. So what happens when Adam Rishon ate from the Eitz Adas? All of the bones of the body received their sustenance from where? From that original piece of fruit that Adam Rishon ate. Except for one bone did not participate in the eating of the Eitz Adas. What bone was that? That was the Luz bone, because remember, the Luz bone will only get its sustenance from food that's eaten on Matzei Shabbos, Malava Malka. So the reason why this bone doesn't die, the reason why this bone is the source of all Tchiyas HaMesim, is because this bone was never subject to the, to the original Misa that was paskined for all of humanity, because it never participated in the sin of Adam Arishon. One last name of this bone, we're learning a lot about it, one last name of this bone. The gra brings down that the name of this bone is also Besuel. Also Besuel, which is interesting, because after it was called Luz, what did Yaakov Avinu call the city? Beit El, or Besuel. It's also called Besuel. In fact, the gra says, we know, what age was Yitzchak when he married Rivka? He was 40 years old. So the gra brings down, when does Tchias HaMesim take place? 40 years after Mashiach comes, that's when Tchias HaMesim is going to take place. Forty years. Why? Because Yitzchak was the daughter, I'm sorry, because Yitzchak married Rivka, who's the daughter of Besuel. So Besuel is another name. So what are the three names we have for this Luz bone? Luz, Niskai, this is going to be important, Luz, Niskai, and Besuel. Okay. And interestingly, remember we said that the Luz bone was also a deceiver, right? It looks like it's eating from the rest of the body, but it's really not. What is Besuel's name? What do we call him in the Torah? Besuel, Arami. What does Arami mean? Doesn't just mean Aramean. Also comes from a lotion of Ramai, which means to be a deceiver. And the Zayr, the Zayr, the Tikkun Zayr actually calls the Nachash the Nachash Haramai, 
the trickster Nachash. And remember, what did the Zayar say about the Lisbon? It was a neighbor of the Ramai, of the fraudulent Yetzirah. We'll tie it all back in in the end. Besuel is the gematria of 439, and Mace is the gematria of 440. Why? Because what's the only thing that doesn't die? Is that one Luzbon. So Besuel is 439, Mace is 440, because one thing is still missing, the Luzbon never dies. Last piece of information they need to know about the Luzbon. There's an amazing Gemara and Brachos, Gemara and Brachos 28a says that there's 18, there's really not 18 vertebrae in the spine. We really know that there's more than that. The Gra already asks this kasha. The Gemara says there's 18 vertebrae in the spine. It doesn't really mean 18 vertebrae, but don't worry about that. There's 18 vertebrae in the spine. The Gemara says it's connected the 18 brachos of Shemona Esrei. What's the problem, girls? You all know? There's 19 brachos. There's 19 brachos. Don't worry, the Gemara already asks that kasha. The Gemara says there's 19 brachos. So the Gemara says, no, there's a small bone that's connected the 19th bracha. What's the 19th bracha? The 19th bracha is Vala Malshinim. This is the bracha for the heretics, right? That we daven that HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Vala Malshinim, Alti Tikva. They shouldn't have any Tikva, they shouldn't have any hope. So it's a very strange parallel. On the one hand, we have Vala Malshinim, Alti Tikva. This is talking about wiping out all of the heretics. And yet, what's this, what's the, this one connected? It's connected the Luzbon. It's connected the 19th bone, which is the Luz bone, which is the bone that you would think would be exactly the opposite, because this is the bone that's never destroyed. So why is there a connection between Valam al-Shinim and between the Luz bone? Okay. If we go through, I think I have here one, two, three, four, five, six, seven questions. Very quick questions. But if you go through all these things, we're going to try to together, try to tie together all of these things. The first question is. Why does the Torah have to tell us that the original name of the city is Luz? Just tell us, Yaakov named the base L. The second question, what's the significance of the fact that this city cannot be destroyed, that it can't be conquered, that it has no entrance? Number three, what's the significance of the small size, that it's just a piece of barley? What do we care about the size of it? Number four, what does it mean to say that Tchias HaMesim comes from the Luzbon, if we're calling the Luzbon a Ramai, if we're calling the Luzbon a deceiver, why is that the place where Tchias HaMesim comes from? What does it mean, we asked before, what does it mean that it's a, that it's a Ramoi and it's the neighbor of a Ramoi, that it's the neighbor of the Sahara? What does that mean? Why does the Luzbon only eat from Malava Malka? Why doesn't the Luzbon eat from Shabbos? You know, when, especially when I'm, uh, when I'm on a diet, some people always say to me like, but you can eat on Shabbos, you don't gain weight on Shabbos. I'm living proof that you gain weight on Shabbos. Right? <laughs> it's a hell of a thing to eat on Shabbos. So the Luzbon, which is so choshev, it doesn't get any of its sustenance from Shabbos. A strange thing. And last of all, what's the connection between the Luzbon and Vala Malshina? There's an amazing, there's an amazing idea which we really need to focus on in our lives. Unfortunately, so many of us are not focusing on this. In the world of psychology today, they gave it language, but they didn't, they didn't go all the way. An abundance mentality versus an impoverished mentality. A guy calls me up about two weeks ago, and he's in the middle of a business deal that could make his company $200 million. $200 million is a lot of money. He's a young guy. He's in his 20s. And he says, Rebbe, I'm feeling exceptionally overwhelmed. $200 million, like, what if I mess this up? It's like a terrible thing. But more than that, he said, why is it, like this fell in my lap. He said, I was thinking about my own self as if to be an exceptionally growth-oriented young man. I was thinking about myself. How come I don't go after those types of deals? There are people that like, they, they think so big. And I don't think that big. I think very small. You know, in, in Israel we call that Rosh Katan. Yeah? Rosh Katan, Rosh Gadol. There are people that think very big. There are people that think very small. What's the pshat? So in the world of psychology, we gave it language. We call it an abundance mentality versus an impoverished mentality. There are some people, and this is the key word, they have enough. They're enough. It doesn't matter what comes their way. They feel like they're enough. And there are other people that no matter how much they have, they mamish never have enough. And you see this in many ways. Let's say when it comes to business. This guy, he has an impoverished mentality. 
He thinks to himself, maybe I could pull off a $50,000 deal. Maybe I should look for a $100,000 deal. A $200 million deal? He doesn't think on those terms. He doesn't think grandly. He doesn't think big. Because it comes from an impoverished mentality. Some people, they mamish have an abundance mentality. Yesh li kol. They feel like I have everything I need. Mamela, wherever they go, they're fine. They have enough. They're confident. Not arrogant. They're really confident. The truth of the matter is that arrogance comes from an impoverished mentality. Because it's, it's the overcompensation of like, I feel like I don't have enough, so I have to be so arrogant. You see this a lot when it comes to dating. There are girls, they have an abundance mentality. Dating can be exceptionally frustrating. You go out, you get yourself all excited, you have to work so hard. You know, a guy just shows up, you know, like maybe he shaves. And I promise you he hasn't thought about it, you know, like uh, somebody has to remind him to shave. It's not like he spent time thinking about what he's going to do. I remember my wife, she told me when we were dating, she's like, you should know, I'm not to take a nap every time before we go out on a date so that I can be prepared for the date. She's like, what do you do? I'm like, I, I come to the date. Like, what are you doing? Like, and you see the mamish, and like dating is the great equalizer, right? Because you're putting yourself out there and the vulnerability is tremendous. And it's like, how many times can I keep putting myself out there? And, it, and it's so hard and... and until I get a date, and even if I get a date, and then it says no, and it didn't work out, and it's just like, it could mamish be a drain. And there are some girls that they mamish seem okay. They're just okay. They go into it, and like, okay, you have to say that it didn't work out. Sometimes for years at a time, it didn't work out. But they just seem like they're okay. And, and it's true, they really are. And then there are some girls that it's a shrek every single time. It's like, it's just never going to happen. I don't know if it's going to happen. I don't know if it's going to happen. What is it? it's, it's an impoverished mentality. It's going to happen. The Rebbe already said it's going to happen. Before you were born, the Rabbanu Shalom was already Mizavig Yerzivug. The Baskol already came out. There are some people that are mamish tapped into that, and there are some people that are so removed from it. And it's not just, it's in business, it's in our relationships, it's in our marriages. Every, everything that we do in our life comes down to what's the mentality that we have. But where did the world of psychology fall short? They never told us how to actually get an abundance mentality. That's where they mamish fell short. They never told us, how do you get an abundance mentality? Sounds like an awesome thing. I should have an abundance mentality. Everywhere I go, I'm going to be okay. In Chassidus, in Tanya specifically, it speaks about Nefesh Lekis versus Nefesh Abahamis. Nefesh Abahamis is the soul that animates the body. The thing about the Nefesh Abahamis is it's going to die. Imagine living knowing that you were going to die. So what would be the feeling that you would have? The feeling would be, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I have to, I have to be careful, I'm going to die. And the truth of the matter is that most people live with this level of consciousness. This is the impoverished mentality of the Nefesh Bahamas. I know that there's a clock on this. I know that one day I'm going to die. And so what the Nefesh Bahamas needs, more than anything in the world, is it needs to feel alive. So the Nefesh Bahamas does some very strange things. I'll give you a couple examples. One of the strange things that the Nefesh Bahamas does is it goes skydiving. Yeah? You know why it goes skydiving? You ever speak to someone who went... Does anyone here ever go skydiving? It's okay, you don't have to be embarrassed to admit it. Good for you, you went skydiving. Okay. You should know many years ago I heard a shear from Rav Benaviki. Rav Benaviki is a big Paisak in Muncie. We asked him, is it mutter to go skydiving? So Rav Benaviki looked at us and he goes, I hope it's mutter to go skydiving. Me and Ravilson went skydiving. <laughs> Could be it's mutter to go skydiving. Person, even, even not so extreme, person goes on a roller coaster. What do you say afterwards? I hate roller coasters. I, hate, I never hopped. All my friends, like, it was amazing. Like, what was amazing about that? Like, at the end, you're like, oh my God, I'm going to throw up. That was amazing. Like, but the reason why it feels so amazing is because the Nefesh Bahamas loves nothing more than to feel alive. And sometimes when you come so close to death, so the Nefesh Bahamas feels like, whoa, that was almost it, and it didn't happen. So it makes us feel tremendously alive. The truth of the matter is that all addiction comes from the Nefesh Bahamas. Because every time a person feels like they're in that place of they're going to die, they have to do something to numb that pain. So whether it's food or, or other substances that a person could use, or other ways of thinking... All of addiction comes from this impoverished mentality of the Nefesh Bahamas that there's a clock on this. That's one way of seeing the world. There's another way of seeing the world. 
The other way of seeing the world is called the Nefesh Elikis. The Nefesh Elikis is a chelek elaka mima. It is a literally a piece of God. When we say literally, we mean literally. We don't mean literally as in an object. We mean this is its relationship to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It's a piece of God. Like a ray is to the sun, that's the Nefesh Elikis to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. You can't separate the ray from the sun. The Nefesh Elikis knows that it's never going to die. So the Nefesh Elikis is not interested in things that make it feel alive because it is life itself. That's the difference between the body and the soul. The Nefesh Bahamas is the body. So the Nefesh Bahamas knows, I'm going to die. But the Nefesh Elikis says, what are you talking about death? Don't hack me a chinik about death. The Nefesh Elikis wasn't interested in life. It wasn't interested in being alive. It's life. Alive is okay. If that's what the Rebbe Nisham wants from me, I'll do that. But the Nefesh Elikis per se is not nervous about death. So if it's not nervous about death, that means it has everything it needs. It's immortal. So the truth of the matter is that psychology could tell us that you can have an abundance mentality or you can have an impoverished mentality. But they don't tell us how to do it. Comes along Chassidus and teaches us, this is how you do it. If you see the world through the lens of your Nefesh Abahamis, you're never going to feel like you have enough because your body ultimately withers. And if you see the world through what's called a body consciousness, you look around, all you see is pain and suffering, and you have no idea how to see through that. And it's true everywhere we look. There's sickness, there's death, there's addiction, people losing their jobs, people losing their homes. It's a crazy world. It's a crazy world. And you don't know when it's going to come. So from the perspective of the Nefesh Bahamas, we're mamish all walking zombies. And the Nefesh kiss looks at this and says, what are you worried about that for? It's not about being alive, it's having a life. It's what are you doing with yourself? So there's an abundance mentality because it's never going to run out. A person calls me up and says, Rebbe, I don't know, why am I shooting for, you know, for $50,000 deals when I could be shooting for $200 million deals? It's because he's, he's so afraid to live life. He's so afraid to put himself out there. That's a Nefesh Bahamas mentality, a Nefesh kiss mentality, assuming that this was something the Nefesh kiss would want. Nefesh kiss would say, why not go for it? Nefesh Bahamas shows up on a date. And the only thing it could think is, maybe I'm going to be rejected. It's the only thing it could think. So what happens? It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, because who would want to be in a relationship with somebody that thinks the entire time that they're going to be rejected? The Nefesh kiss shows up on a date. Nefesh says vulnerability is the birthplace of connection. It's going to be the hardest thing to put myself out there, to say, look, this is who I really am. And maybe I'm going to be rejected, and maybe it's going to be painful, but here's the key words, I'll be okay. I'll be okay because I'm not worried about death. Nefesh kiss shows up to a relationship, not just dating, shows up to a relationship. Nefesh kiss shows up to a relationship with your children, and your children are driving you crazy. I was somewhere for Shabbos this week, beautiful family. Just talking to them. And, and the kids are, come move on, they have all boys. I have mostly girls, so it's like, Baruch Hashem, like, nice, normal home, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> I see boys are like mamish trapeze artists, like beating each other up and running from place to place. So the mother looked at one of the kids and she's like, you have to stop. So I said, it's funny because I also say that to my kids. I'm like, you have to stop. And my wife has a good line. She goes, why? So I'm like, I think about it. I'm like, because that child is in danger. <laughs> and who's the danger? I'm the danger. <laughs> you have to stop. And the child doesn't need to stop. How would we parent if we were parenting from a mentality of abundance. We wouldn't see the kid just in that fragmented moment. We would see it as part of a process and we wouldn't be afraid. If chas the kid goes off the derech, you know how parents go crazy when the kid goes off the derech. on, it's very sad because we're doing our best to raise our children to follow in our ways, which is the right thing to do. And if a kid goes off the derech, but how's it going to look and, and, and what's going to be with shaduchim and, and, and how's it going to impact the other kids? Do you see all the fear that's embedded in that? As opposed to coming from an abundance mentality. say there. My kids are going to see that I love my children regardless of their level of observance. The younger kids, they'll see that and we'll be mashkia on them and we'll refocus and we'll figure out what these kids need. It's a totally different mentality. Everything, everything that you do, you could see through one of these two lenses. I'll tell you an amazing thing that I heard many years ago from Rav Manus Friedman. Let's say a person starts living with a body consciousness, nefesh abahamis. So what happens is the entire time that the person is putting themselves into that body consciousness, they start to become addicted to it. You know, it's like, take food, for example, right? At some point in everyone's life, 
I think everyone, but probably just me. I think at some point in everyone's life, people start to supplant food for love. It's like, that tastes good. That's like, it doesn't just taste good. That's, that's like good, right? Everyone has a little bit of that. Like, you see people today, they eat food. They don't eat, they eat food like, I, even myself, it's like, it's a delicious. You know what I'm saying? It's not just delicious, it's delicious. You know what I'm saying? Everybody has a little bit of that. You do it for a long enough time, what starts to happen? Become an addict. When does a person stop being an addict? When does that finish? So it's an unbelievable thing. If you speak to addicts, so they'll tell you, I only stop being an addict once I hit rock bottom. What does rock bottom look like? Most people think rock bottom is where my soul finally gets to control my body. It's not true. The soul, the entire time that this person was an addict, the soul was saying, what are you doing? Why are you involved in these things? You know when a person finally decides to go to recovery? When their body says, I'm sick of this. When their body says, I can no longer take this. You, see, you speak to people, let's say, that are significantly overweight. And like, you're talking to them and like, what made you decide to go on a diet? They're like, I just couldn't take it anymore. I just felt so sick. It's not the soul. The soul the entire time was saying, what are you doing? But there's a dimension to the body that people don't speak about. And that's that the body itself, when you get to the very end of that impoverished mentality, you find something unbelievable. The body itself the entire time is saying, I'm not interested in this. This is not what I want my life to look like. Not the soul. The soul the entire time didn't want your life to look like that. But addiction recovery only begins when the body consciousness is like, I'm done with this. I don't want this anymore. And you speak to people and it's mamish true. Their whole lives, they were fighting, their soul was fighting, and they couldn't make a dent. When do they actually make a dent? When the body comes along and says, I'm sick of this. This is an unbelievable thing. The word MS, the gematria of the word MS is 441. First dimension of MS is the body has an impoverished mentality. But there's a second dimension of MS. The second dimension of MS, if we multiply 441 times 2, it's 882, which is the same gematria as Luz Shel Shidra, which is the Luz bone of the spine. The deeper MS, the double MS, not the MS, the surface MS, which is true, but the deeper MS of the human body is that at the core of the human body, at the epicenter of the human body, is this Luz bone. And when the entire body has decomposed, when everything else has fallen apart, when everything in your life is falling apart, and your entire body is screaming, I can't do this anymore, the only thing that's left, that piece of recovery, is called the Luz Shel Shidra. That's the deeper MS. With this in mind, we can start to answer a lot of the questions that we asked before. Hi. How are you? Good. Ah, Thank you so much for sharing your home with us. My pleasure. It's a big schuss to be here. Only because we don't have exit signs. Okay. Enjoy. Thanks for all the dog. Mainly we can understand What's the small size? What's the small size of the Luzlam? Why is it so significant that it's no bigger than the size of a piece of barley? We all want to believe that we're indestructible. But there's only a tiny part of us that's indestructible. I want to tell you a story. Some of you may have heard it because the story went viral last week. I was in... Um, Last week I flew in on Matzei Shabbos, I flew into Los Angeles, and I drove to San Diego, I drove back to Los Angeles on Monday. Monday and Tuesday I was in Los Angeles. Wednesday morning, I had to get up at 4.30 in the morning to make a flight. My flight was at 7.30. 7.30 means you can't dive in with a minion, because Vasikin is at 7 o'clock, so you're not even allowed to put on tefillin at 4.30 in the morning. There's nothing you could do. I hate davening in airports. I hate davening in airports. You know what it's like, see, if you're a girl... You know what you do, you cover your face with the sitter and you... Like, I don't know why you do that, you hold your elbow. <laughs> I used to, when, when I was dating, I could tell how from a girl was by how much mascara was on their sitter, you know? Like, you know. 
But a guy, we put on talus and tefillin, we look, we, again, imagine what it would look like to the guy, like we're walking through the airport and I'm sitting there in talus and tefillin. A woman came over to me while I was in talus and tefillin, she's like, is like a certain type of tape, apparently it's like a healing tape that people wear. She's like, is that that type of tape? I'm like, no, it's cowhide. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm diving, try to dive in with whatever little kavan I can have. You know, it used to be we dive in phone booths, there's not even phone booths anymore and talus and tefillin doesn't help. So I just, you have no you have very little kavana, you know. Especially I don't, I don't want to shuckle because like you know people are gonna come over like I'm having a seizure, ask me if I'm okay, you know. So I'm about to take off my talis and tefillin. A 16-year-old kid, Ethan, comes over to me. I didn't know his name was Ethan. I'm not wearing a yarmulke. He says, "Will you put those on me?" My chabad rabbi told me if I ever see a Jew wearing tefillin, I should ask them to put it on me. I said, "Ethan, of course." It's like the biggest mitzvah in the world. I'm so happy to put tefillin on you. The flight's leaving in 20 minutes, but I'm sitting and putting tefillin on him. And I'm wrapping the tefillin, and I make the bracha with him, and put on the talis and the whole thing. And then we said shema. He doesn't know the words of shema. So the shema, shema, Yisrael, Yisrael. I'm saying the whole thing. Like a real Lubavitcher, you know? Like, uh... <laughs> I get, like, an honorary badge now, you know? Like, you know, <laughs> I get a, something in Siva Sashem. Anyway, so, um... So I was thinking so much about that. Like, here's a 16-year-old kid who has no back, and doesn't know any Hebrew. He doesn't know. He doesn't know how to say Shema. But he saw a Jew in an airport putting on towels and tefillin, and he said, "Yeah, I want that." From where? <laughs> First of all, the genius of this Chabad shliach, right? To connect him to every other member of Klal Yisrael. That if you ever see a Jew wearing tefillin, just go over and they'll help you. That's a genius move. But, but more than that, I was so nispal. Here's a kid who's so deeply connected, even though he's so far removed. Think about how much courage it takes to come over to a perfect stranger and say, will you put that on me? And then this woman came over, and she's like, his teacher was on the flight with us. She's like, could you explain what that is? So I said, well, tefillin is all about kesher. It's all about connection. Every morning, the first thing we do is we connect our minds, our power, and our hearts to God. We wear tefillin and God wears tefillin. In our tefillin, we talk about our, we talk about God. In his tefillin, he talks about us. It's the consciousness that we start the day. You know what she says? Because she's not Jewish. That's so beautiful. Right? You talk to kids today, especially the ones that were raised in Orthodox homes, you tell them about tefillin, they're like, I want to rap cowhide and say words I don't understand. Yeah, I hear. I hear it. But this kid, Ethan, he's so far removed and he's so deeply connected. I took a picture of it. I took a picture of us. I posted it on social media. By the time the plane took off, it was already viral. I can't tell you how many people were coming over to me. I saw that post, I saw that post. It touched people in a very deep way. What's the pshat? The pshat is because there's something called a pintalayid. A small piece of you that could never be destroyed. And you think it's your soul. And it's not just in your soul. It's even in your body. There's a part of you that no matter how far gone you are, you're never fully gone. His name is Rav Steinertz. He has an amazing line. His line is, Don't tell me what you'll never do. There's what you've done and what you haven't done yet. You know how many people I speak to and they're like, I crossed that line I would never cross. And now that I've crossed that line, I feel like I have no shaykhs to come back. No shaykhs to come back. Girls all the time, you get this. So I wasn't the best person in high school. And now I went to Eretzisar and I did great in seminary. And now I'm coming back and now I'm dating. But like I crossed that line. I can't. You come back. Everything, everything has tshuva. Because there's a part of us that can't be destroyed. I've told this story many times, but it's Kadai to tell it again, because it's a particularly meaningful story for me. My grandmother is turning 90 this January. Very exciting for my family. I have a 90-year-old grandmother. My grandmother is my hero. She's Mamish my hero. Why? Both of my parents are Bali tshuva. My mother did not grow up in a home that was... Um, receptive to her becoming an observant Jew. We'll say it like that. Yeah? My grandfather, Lava Shalom, he would put money on the table on Friday night and he would tell my mother, Paula, if you touch it, you can keep it. My grandmother, she wasn't an observant lady. You know, they went, it was the olden days, they went bowling on Friday nights. You know, they didn't, uh, they were like deeply Jewish, traditional on some level, but they weren't into it. My mother became from, her sister became from. At 70 years old, my grandmother became a Balashuva. My grandfather had already been passed away for a number of years. 
At 70 years old, my grandmother dresses like a basisro. She keeps Shabbos. She keeps kosher. She's exceptionally judgmental of all of my cousins that don't keep Shabbos or kosher. <laughs> all my cousins get bar mitzvah in Crown Heights because we have Chabad cousins. They all get bar mitzvah in Crown Heights. When I was growing up, whenever we'd go to Crown Heights for Shabbos, my father would dress like he wasn't from to see how many people would come over to try to be Makairah. <laughs> One of my cousins, his, his father isn't Jewish. The Gabbai in this Chabad shul that where the Bar Mitzvah was in, he came, over to, he came over to my cousin and he said, Bob, I want to call you up and give you an aliyah for the Haftorah. Now, Bob doesn't know what any of those words mean. <laughs> so he just looks at my father and my father goes, um, it's not his minuk. You know, he, he, like, my grandmother at those bar mitzvahs, so like my cousin would come to shul with like an umbrella. She's like, it's terrible. Doesn't he know he's not allowed to have an umbrella on Shabbos? I'm like, Grandma, he drove here. You know, like, <laughs> but she's mamish an amazing person. The last couple of years, she hasn't been so well physically. But she's like, no, I'm not eating on Yom Kippur. I'm like, Grandma, you have to eat on Yom Kippur. You have to eat like at least year. She's like, I, I can eat on Yom Kippur. She's so deeply connected. And it doesn't matter that she spent 70 years of her life one way. She could figure it out. She could change. Now it's her 90th birthday. She doesn't know this. No, she knows it's her 90th birthday. But she, <laughs> she doesn't know this next part. So my, my mother and my sister are putting together a matzeged, a, a video. The whole family, everyone's wishing her a happy birthday. My grandmother has her best friend in the world. It's her 96-year-old sister. 96 years old. Ruthie is 96 years old. And Ruthie left a video message for my grandmother, and I saw it because my sister's putting together the matzeget. 96 years old, you know what she's saying? Sarah, you did it right. You became Orthodox. I'm so proud that my little sister became Orthodox the last 20 years and really did it, and you did it right. And she's 96 years old, and Ruthie was never Orthodox. But she knows so deeply that it's so true. You know what I'm saying? And it doesn't matter how far, 96 years old, and what is she saying? You did the right thing. What's the shot? A person lives 96 years all one way, and what is she saying? It's because that pintalia, that body, that, that loose bone in your body, it could never really be destroyed. That's the ramai. That's, that's the nature of the deception of the loose bone. Because it looks like it's the body. You look at it, and it looks like a regular bone in the body. But it's so not. It's the, it's the holdout. That's what it means. It's a neighbor of the Yetzirah. You know what the Yetzirah is? The Yetzirah wants more than anything in the world to be defeated. That's why the Yetzirah is such a deceiver. Because the Yetzirah, you think, you think the Yetzirah is looking at you and saying, do this usher thing? It's not true. Really what the Yetzirah is saying is, don't do this usher thing. It's such, a, it's such a deceiver that way. The Luzbon, you think it's part of the body and the whole body is going in one direction. It's not true. It's not true. It's a part of our humanity which can't be destroyed. Like the city of Luz which had, had no opening. Nobody could get into it. And the Malachamavis, you see that Lush in the Malachamavis? The Malachamavis has no shlita over it. Because even though the body mentality, even though the body consciousness of the Nefesh HaBahamis is, is, is all about fear of death, but there is the part of your body that is not afraid of death because it knows that death cannot be shilat there. And that's why Tchiyas HaMesim comes from this place. Why does the Arizal say that it's in the top of your spine? where the Kesher of the Tefillin is, because what do we say? The Kesher of the Tefillin is from Oshan of Kashur. The Luz bone is connected even when the rest of the body has done the most terrible and horrific Averas, the Luz bone never participated. This is why Yaakov Avinu never dies. Because Yaakov Avinu who went to Luz, and he saw that Sulam, he saw that ladder, he had that vision in Luz. He was mevatal himself completely to that Luz bone. So just like that Luzbom can never be destroyed, so too Yaakov Avinu can never be destroyed. That's why Avram Shah brings down an unbelievable vart. He says, Sulam is Rashi Tevas of Sudas Levayas Hamalka, which means Malava Malka. That Sulam that, that Yaakov Avinu saw there in Luz, it's the Sudas Levaya Hamalka, because that's where the Luzbom gets its sustenance from. Why Dafka and Matzei Shabbos? Because Shabbos is not for the Luzbom. Shabbos is for the Nefesh kiss, But the week, that's for the Nefesh Bahamas. But how does a person start their week in Yiddishkeit? The consciousness has to be when we start our week, I'm starting from a place of tremendous hope. That there's a part of me that's going out into the world and I know that this can never be destroyed. See, that's the whole Avoidah. The Avoidah is like, you're, you're, you're there 
and you're going out into the week and you're looking at all of the things and it's, it's, it's not Shabbos the Garwik and we're out in the world and we're, and we're with people and it's not always the best environment so many girls they come back from seminary they're like in seminary I was one thing but now I came back from seminary and I'm something else yeah it makes sense if you're in Eretz Yisrael and you have nothing else to do so your entire week is Shabbos everything about what you're doing is Shabbos but when it comes to, when it comes to when it comes to, to the week it's okay but say there it's very very difficult but the consciousness must be that no matter how far I've fallen, no matter how, how many things I've done that I'm not proud of, the Luzbon, that's the way I start off my mentality. So I'm not, I'm not going to fall apart. I have tremendous hope. Even if I've done things I'm not proud of, even if I'm, even if I'm so far removed, you know, I'm getting these questions all the time from girls. Like when I was in seminary, I was sitting and learning and I was, do, I was learning Rambans and I was, say there, and now I'm, I'm, I'm in college and I'm working and I'm doing all these things. I don't have time to do these things anymore. But say there. But you have to know that there's a part of you that's not, broken on any level not just in your soul but also in your body not just in your Shabbistic mentality but also in your Avaidah of the week there's a part of you that's mamish not broken and it never will be broken and if you don't know that then there's no reason for hope that's what hope is about hope is knowing it's going to work out and I heard many years ago from Ramanus Friedman a beautiful word he said nothing bad can ever happen Rabbi Shalom has a plan. You're not in charge of that plan. If you knew the plan, you wouldn't look at it and say it was bad. You would say it's painful, but you wouldn't say it's bad. Exceptionally painful. But if you knew everything that was supposed to happen is happening, you would, you would have tremendous hope. If, imagine if you knew, we said before, imagine if you knew that in six months to the day, you were going to meet the person you were going to marry. Would you have any daigas about dating anymore? You wouldn't be worried about it. Imagine if you knew that you're going to get the perfect job, exactly what you want, right as you leave college. Would you be nervous about college? You wouldn't be nervous about college. Because you already knew it was set in motion. Okay, so the only thing we're missing is the date. We don't know when it's going to be. But that it's going to be, we know it's going to be. Tchias HaMesim is a vadai. It's not a suffix. That's why Tchias HaMesim was one of the Yogrim Likrim. It's not a question. It's going to happen. Now that you know that it's going to happen, the only avoda is to hang in there and have the hope. There's a therapist who I work with. He's an amazing, amazing person. He has a great line. When his clients leave the office, he always, say, he always tries to test them at the end, like, where's our level of hope? So sometimes a client is leaving the office and they say, I should have no hope. So this is his line. It said, he called it a gift that he can give the clients when they're leaving. He says, you know what? I'm actually very hopeful. So I'm going to hold on to that hope for both of us. Such a beautiful line. Imagine walking away from something and feeling like, ah, there's something out there that's hopeful for me. That's what the Luzbon is. The Luzbon is there's so much hope. Now it makes sense why we understand why the bracha of Alamalshinim is connected. Alamalshinim alti tikva. We don't want any hope for those people that are heretics. No hope for them. Except that there's still hope for them. That's why, that's why the Maral in Beragola says... The Vilamashinim doesn't mean that we want to wipe out the actual people, it means we want to wipe out their heresy. But the person themselves is never too far gone. Imagine if we were Machanech our children like that. That we looked at them and we said, the things you're doing are mamish not okay, but there's tremendous hope for you. You know how painful it is for children that they know that their parents are looking at them and saying, like, I don't know what's going to be with this one. You mean you don't know what's going to be with this one? This one is going to be great. It may not be the greatness you were expecting, it may not be the greatness you were looking for, but this one is going to be great. It's already assured. I, but the kid's not from. I, but the kid's not keeping Shabbos. Besay there. But what's the gift you can give your kid? The gift you can give your kid is, I love you. There's so much hope for you. You will never be too far gone. And it's true. I have a very, very dear Chaver who I love very, very much. Unfortunately, many years ago, he made a decision that he no longer wanted to be an observant Jew. This guy was my Chavrusa. used to wake up 5.30 in the morning to learn together. It was a tremendous, tremendous genius, and he was a real, real masmid. But he went off the derech. Today he lives in the Czech Republic. He doesn't keep kosher, he doesn't keep Shabbos, nothing. His father died. It was the first time, years, years and years, we've been hacking about hashkafa. It was the first time when his father died, he said to me, you know, if I came back, I don't really think that I would have so much tshuva to do, because I don't think I've hurt anybody. I've done averos, but I don't think I've hurt anybody. I didn't say anything. You got to be very careful when somebody says something like that. I've been waiting for that line. I've been waiting for that line for 16 years. It was the first chink in the armor. He wouldn't sit shiva. 
I went to pay a shivakal. He wouldn't sit shivakal. We went out to burgers. That was a shivakal. But he said, it wouldn't be too far for me to come back. Lo shamayim. It wouldn't be too far. Kikarov elecha hadavar ma'od. It wouldn't be too far. An alumni came back to yeshiva to visit. Again, a kid who's totally off the derech. He was on the verge of marrying a guy. And he couldn't pull it. He couldn't go through with it. I said, why didn't you go through with it? So you know how these conversations evolve? You ever, you ever have these conversations with people that starts off one way and it ends off somewhere else? I said, why didn't you go through with it? He goes, I couldn't do it to my mother. I said, you just gave up the girl of your dreams for your mother? <laughs> like, I know you have a good relationship with your mother, but you're Meshugana, what are you doing? Spend the next 70 years of your life with this girl. So he pushes a little bit further. He goes, well, maybe there is a part of me that, you know, that I also didn't want to marry a guy. So it's just a small part, right? It was, yeah, just a small part. By the end of the conversation, he was said, he said, Rebbe, how do I come back? Mm-hmm. In the conversation, an hour conversation. Not a big deal. An hour conversation. You could do that with anybody because people are so starving to come back. Because there's so much hope. Because there's a part of them that Pasha can't be destroyed. That's why the Arizal says that just like there's a city, the Luz city, and just like there's a bone, there's also a day. What's the day that's connected to the Lisbon? The day is Yom Kippur. What's Mechaper on Yom Kippur, girls? The Itzumo Shel Yom. The essence of the day is Mechaper. It's Machlokas, whether or not you need to do Tshuva on Yom Kippur for the essence of the day to be Mechaper. We paskin that you do need to do Tshuva. But even if you do Tshuva, what brings the Kapara? It's not the Tshuva that brings the Kapara. It's the Itzumo Shel Yom. It's the essence of the day. Like the Etzem Shel Luz. It's the bone of the laws that brings us to our tshuva. Knowing that a person can never be destroyed, knowing that a person can never be too far gone, that's why we're able to return. That's why, what does the Kohen Gadol wear on Yom Kippur? He wears big day lavan. What is lavan Rashi Tevas for? The Ben Ishchai says lavan is luz, besuel, neskai. It's those three things that the Kohen Gadol, when he wears that, those white begadon, the big day lavan, you know what he's expressing? He's expressing no Jew is ever too far gone. That's why it's all white, because it's beautiful. This is why we don't eat or drink on Yom Kippur. Because on Yom Kippur we know that the only thing that sustains the Luz bone is Malava Malka. You know, I feel sometimes when I come to America, and we've been assigned with this, I feel sometimes when I come to America, it's like a different universe from Eretz Yisrael. It's a different universe. I was in Los Angeles, which is like, like New York is America, but Los Angeles is like America. Yeah? For those of you that know Los Angeles, Los Angeles is like, this great Gashmias in Los Angeles. This man is like unbelievable. So I was talking to a Rebbe now, who is in Los Angeles. And he used to be an artist. So I was trying to hire this Rebbe for years. He's a superstar. He's such a superstar. They brought him back to America. He's running around. He's man doing unbelievable things in Los Angeles now. I said, how's it going out here? So he said, I'm very stuck. I said, why? He said... Baruch Hashem, I'm doing good things, and I don't feel like the Eibishter will let me leave. I feel like I'm mamish doing good things here. But I have a real problem. In Eretz Yisrael, my kids were rock stars. Because in Yerushalayim, where he was living, the coolest thing was to be poor. The coolest thing was like to not have things. What does your father do? He's a Rebbe. What does your father do? He's sitting and learning. Your father's in business. Are you a little bit of a Nebuchal? Right? <laughs> you have a nice house. Chaval. You know? <laughs> comes to Los Angeles and his kids are looking around and they're saying like dad everybody in the world has like these amazing things and why don't we have them and he says like I'm like I'm so stuck now because I feel like I can't leave the Abishter doesn't want me to leave he says I feel like I'm mamish destroying my family it's a different universe and I feel it I feel it and, and again it's so unbelievable here there's so many beautiful things going on I dive in this morning in Yeshiva Gadola five towns the building is stunning Hashem but you know, there's something about that like run-down base medrash in Meisharim that like, like only has those flickering lights, and you just see those people that have like never left Meisharim in like a thousand years. Their family's been there, you know, like pre-Medina, their family was there, and they were learning in that same base medrash. You know, there's no cars that could fit there because when they built it, it was like who conceived of a car? It was like big enough for a horse, you know. And and it's so not beautiful. It's so not beautiful. And yet, there's something about sitting down in that base measures with that worn Gemara that's not bound, that's like been rebound like 50 times, and it's just like you, like you see like people of Mamish falling asleep on that Gemara for a thousand years. 
and there's something so warm about it, and it's mamish not beautiful. And so you come here, like you're, you're like a little bit, like I feel like I come and I'm like, this place is amazing. <laughs> this mamish amazing. Look down Central Avenue. Amazing. So much here. And, and yet I also feel sometimes when I come, I'm like, how did I stay, like, how did I stay from here? <laughs> like, this place is amazing, you know? How do you not get caught up in it? You should know, I didn't want to move to Eretz My wife did. I was like, because she, like, yeah, I told my wife when we were dating, I was like, it's true, I want, I'll tell you the truth, I really, I said, I'll move to Eretz but it's more important to me to teach than to move to Eretz And I really don't think anyone in Israel is going to give me a job, because, like, the Rebbeim, they're a real Tamidei Chachamim. So, like, <laughs> like I re- this is true, 100%, I had an impoverished mentality. I have a master's degree in special ed, because I thought nobody would hire me for regular education. So I told my wife, like, we'll move to Eretz Yisrael, but teaching to me is more important. And my wife, she's like, whatever, I had a thing, it fell apart here in America, she's like, that's it, we're going. She mamish pulled us out. I don't know how she did it. I, I remember, I remember I had a thing, like, an hour before Shabbos, I would run to Gourmet because I, I would run to Super Soul, and I would get the sushi that they were selling, like, at discounted prices, because it was an hour before Shabbos, and I knew it was going bad. That was like my yeshivish move, how to get sushi for Shabbos. You, know, like, you get so caught up in it, because it's amazing. And sometimes you come and you just see people and they're like, like, Rebbe, where do I find the oxygen? Like, where do I, like, how do I find that oxygen? I'm going right now. I'm going to the Rebbe's oil in Queens with a bunch of Mavasar guys. Just to find a little bit of oxygen here. But it's so wrong to feel that way. It's so wrong to feel that way. Because Adi Rabbi, if you're here, that means the Rebbe Shalom wants you to be here. Every moment that you're here is exactly where you're supposed to be. But you have to know that there's a part of you that is never going to be broken. And knowing that is what gives us the confidence to go out and mamish do what we're supposed to do. And that's the suit of Malava Malka. Every single week we sit down and we eat, and we get involved in the gashmias of the world, and the niskai, the luz, the basuel. That's where it's eating from. That's the mentality, that's the consciousness that we need to see the world. So I ask all of you today to take a Kabbalah upon yourself. Just make a mezaynis, just make a haddama, something small. You know, especially now early Shabbos, it's harder to have Shalashudas than it is to have Malava Malka. <laughs> Bless me, Makabal, on ourselves to eat a little bit, a little bit to have Tchias Amesim in our lives, a little bit to hold on tight. So many storms whirling around us. Bezer Hashem, we should be Zaychad and Mamish continue. We should grow. We should have the confidence that comes from the Luzbam. Okay, good to Vach, girls.